Thank you all for coming. We're going to uh, complete uh, the tenth chapter of Bhagavad Gita tonight. Basically, we're going to review those verses wherein Krishna responds to Arjuna's inquiry. Arjuna said, please uh, describe in detail your mystic power and your opulence. I am never satiated in hearing about you, for the more I hear about you, the more I want to taste the nectar of your words. So that's the nature of uh, Krishna consciousness. It is, it's, it's, uh, it's not a matter of ever being fully, fully satiated. And if we come to a position in our practice of devotional life and our chanting of the holy name where it seems that uh, things are becoming uh, repetitious and we're not receiving some spiritual taste, then we really need to take a, a closer inspection of our, of our heart to see if, uh, if we're truly applying ourselves fully. Krishna consciousness is not a, uh, this is not some cheap imitation religion. This is not some cheap, uh, uh, cheap practice, nor is it a, uh, something to be taken lightly. Although the process in this age of Kali as uh, inaugurated by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, is extremely easy com- in comparison to other ages of mankind, still uh, some effort is required on our part. That said, the most important characteristic of a devotee who's truly serious to advance in spiritual life in this age is that he takes advantage of the association of devotees. This is foremost in our devotional practice. We must take advantage of the association, the sangha, of devotees who are like-minded, who are serious about the process of devotional service. And then, despite all the difficulties that our material mind and senses may, uh, may put forward as hindrances to our advancement, we can easily cross over those hurdles. Of course, in the second verse we just chanted from Shiksastika, uh, the Lord himself explains that your holy name is, is so sweet, it's so full of nectar, but I'm so unfortunate that I have no attraction for that holy name. In the beginning of our Krishna conscious practice, the higher taste may not have yet developed, but that is why it's so important that in taking association of devotees, we can see that in that association there are devotees at all levels of advancement. And we could certainly take encouragement from those devotees who, have, who are steady, who have reached a stage of steadiness, who are steady in their practice and serious in their determination in spiritual life, even though we may not have yet developed that characteristic ourselves, And just by observing them and being in their association, even though we may lack taste, we can see that taste is there because we can see others are relishing it. And in that way, we can be encouraged that even though we may be lacking in so many ways and and the taste may not yet have come, there's someone that is tasting. And maybe if I'm serious, maybe if I can take to the process the way they're taking to the process, then I can also come to the platform of steadiness and even higher. Opulence is the absolute. There's a lot of verses, there's actually 20 verses here wherein Krishna delineates his opulences. And we're going to kind of 
breeze through those. In reading the verses this evening before class, what's immediately apparent to a a Westerner like myself, devoid of any Vedic culture, in other words, we've grown up in this culture, so we don't have the background in Vedic culture and knowledge that those uh, born within uh, a society of Vedic culture and truly today that is not really prevalent anywhere, even in India itself. Although there are remnants of the culture there, a full understanding of the depth of Vedic knowledge is not readily available, although it's there more than here. So if we go through these verses, Krishna's going to give all these all these statements regarding a way that we should see his opulence, his vibhutis, his opulences, vibhutis, manifested in the material world. But a lot of the comparisons he gives in these 20 verses are going to be difficult for us because we don't have a full knowledge of all the various personalities and all the various histories that are put forth in the Vedas. And therefore, some of these things, will, it just seems like, I, I remember when I read this some 35, 40 years ago, when I first was starting, I, who, who, what is all this? It didn't make sense. So also, it may not make sense that because we don't know, we're not familiar with these, with these personalities that Krishna is referring to. We don't have in-depth knowledge ourselves of the functioning of the material universe and the various demigods and their positions and of the various divisions of planetary systems and those personalities who are the demigods on the higher planets. And specifically all the different ways that the Lord's energies work through the material manifestation. So that detailed knowledge is given in the Vedas and specifically those different potencies, those material potencies are manifest through controllers of the universe. And we, our culture, we have no knowledge of that. We don't, we don't, Western, Western civilization <laughs> has gone in a different direction. And therefore, when, they, when you think of something powerful or something magnificent, we don't attribute that power and that magnificent to the supreme energy or source behind it. What is it? What do, we, what do we learn? What do we learn in this culture? God is great. God is good. Thank you for this food. <laughs> or something like that. I think it rhymes a little better, but basically that's it. God's great, God's good. Now can I eat? You know, thank you. You know, for feeding me. So God is great and God is good, and that's the extent of it. But how great God is, how good God is, we're not interested. Oh, he's, 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 he's somewhere far, far away in a distant land, high in the sky in the clouds, looking down upon us if he feels like us, you know. No, 
this is not knowledge, the knowledge of the Supreme Lord that's given in Vedic knowledge. Yes, Krishna, the Supreme Lord, he has his own abode far, far away from this material world, but he also, his energies and his very personality pervades everything within the material universe. Pervades. Paramatma. The opulences that are going to be discussed at the end of this 10th chapter specifically are those opulences of Paramatma. Paramatma coming through Karna Daksai Vishnu, Garbo Daksai Vishnu, Kashira Daksai Vishnu. These are the three Vishnus or expansions of the Supreme Lord who manifest the material universes, who enter into the individual universes, and who enter into every the heart of every living entity and every atom within the universe. We're going to chant verse 34. Muchisarva harascham udbavascha bavishtam kirti shrirvachanari nam smritir me dadriti shama I'm all devouring death and I'm the generating principle of all that is yet to be Among women I am fame fortune fine speech memory intelligence steadfastness and patience Omajnatramanandasha Janajana Salakaya, Chakshurun Melitanyena, Tasmai Shri Guravena Maha. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. Conclusions of chapter 10, Opulences of the Absolute. I'm going to chart, start on text 19, and these. Opulences Krishna's are going to list, as we mentioned earlier, are opulences of the all-pervasive feature of the Supreme Lord. And Krishna here is specifically responding to uh, Arjuna's uh, request. Please describe your mystic powers and your opulences. I'm never uh, completely fulfilled uh, by hearing them. He also says in verse 17, O Krishna... O Supreme Mystic, how shall I constantly think of you and how shall I know you? In what various forms are you to be remembered? O Supreme Personality of Godhead. Krishna's response here is for the benefit of those who are still situated within material existence. So therefore, it's difficult for one who's situated in material existence to conceive of the transcendental form of the Supreme Lord and his his loving pastimes, his leelas uh, with his most intimate associates. So therefore we begin from where we are and we begin to appreciate the Supreme Lord by, by appreciating all of his various energies that we perceive within the material world. So Krishna's giving us uh, a glimpse. And he says, yes, the Supreme Personality of God had said, yes, yes. This word here, hanta, it's more than just yes. It's yes with a recognition of, of the significance of the question, an appreciation for the question. So yes, not just yes. It's yes, because you're asking, because I have some appreciation for the 
to the way you're inquiring. Therefore, I'll answer, yes. I will tell you of my splendorous manifestations, but only of those which are prominent, O Arjuna, for my opulence is, un- li- is limitless. Mm. And we're going to read an important, ver- an interesting verse because these same questions were asked, the same inquiry was placed before Krishna uh, by Uddhava. And uh, in one verse, in his response to Uddhava, he, he hits upon a very interesting uh, explanation of, of his various opulences. All right, so we'll go through these. I won't jump ahead too far. I am the super soul, O Arjuna, seated, seated in the hearts of all living entities, and the beginning, the middle, and the end of all beings. Of the Adichas, I am Vishnu. Of lights, I am the radiant sun. Of the Maruts, I am the Rishi. And among the stars, I am the moon. Okay, the Adichas. The Adichas are the sons of Aditi. When the universe is first created, there are various demigods who are charged with populating the universe. And uh, two specific mothers of various living entities are Diti and Aditi. Aditi uh, is uh, the mother of all those who are not fully aware of the Supreme Lord. Uh, when people don't know God, we basically call them demoniac. They, they have no interest in God. So uh, Diti is... is uh, is in charge of, not in charge, but she's one of the major progenitors of uh, the demoniac, and Aditi is uh, the mother of the godly people, the devotees, the demigods. Of all the offspring of Aditi, Vishnu, the Supreme Lord himself who comes within the universe to maintain the mode of goodness, uh, he's the prominent offspring as Vamanadeva. We can understand the, the sun, we see it every day, so we understand its radiance and its warmth and its light, and, and without it, uh, where would we be in our existence here? Maruts, Marichi, Maruts, Maruts are those airs that, basically, the airs that we can perceive, the air we breathe, they're also the airs within the body. Uh, there's 49 uh, Maruts, uh, Marichi's the, the main heir more than that I don't know if anybody else does we'll certainly listen but anyway the Maruts are the various heirs the heirs which, which control our body within our body it's not just that we inhale air everything that happens within the individual living entities uh, you know the way that their consciousness per- pervades the uh, through the body is, is on the life airs. The life airs pervade the body. And among the stars I am the moon. And Prabhupada points out in the purport here that the moon is a star. And despite what modern scientists say, there is one sun in a universe. We are living in one universe. When we look into the night sky, all those twinkling stars are just like the moon. They are, they are reflecting the light of the one sun. Difficult for us to comprehend, especially because of what's been put forth by modern scientists today, but then again, a hundred years to, from now, they may change their tune. They are always changing their tune. 
Oh, no, the earth is flat. No, it's round. No, it's oblivion. You know, the sun's in the middle. No, the sun's... There's uh, both concepts now are expected, uh, accepted by modern scientists that uh, it can bo- be both a, uh, a geocentric universe and a, uh, a helo... What is that? Heliocentric universe? So it can... The universe, because of the way it can be perceived, and this was an offshoot of Einstein's you know, great brain, the way it's perceived, it could be either. And the scientist, scientific community now accepts this. The Earth could be in the center of the universe or the Sun could be in the center of the universe. They accept both. It's just a matter of your perspective. More than that, I couldn't explain to you, but it has something to do with our perception of things. <clears throat> so, our perception of the fact that there are various suns is not in accordance with Vedic teachings. More than that, I won't say. I don't know more than that. I'm not a scientist, so I can't uh, you know, d- delve into those areas. But we do accept the Vedas as absolute truth, although we may not fully be able to reconcile our material senses and mind to what the Vedas present. Uh, in due course, though, we find that r- this knowledge is realized and what the Vedas give to us, we, we in due course of time realize as the actual truth of the matter. Being not realized, I can't say more than that on this either. I won't be able to say a lot about a lot of this tonight. Let's go on. <laughs> Of the Vedas, I am the Samaveda. Of the demigods, I am Indra, the king of heaven. Of the senses, I am the mind. And in living beings, I am the living force, consciousness. All pretty straightforward. Samaveda is is one of the four Vedas. And I don't know a, a lot about the difference between the four Vedas myself. So I can't speak much about it. Uh, we, as Vaishnavs, are primar- primarily concerned with the Vedanta Sutra, which is the, which is that they, that that literature that was put forward by Vyasadeva, who wrote down all the Vedas, which gives the <coughs> conclusion of the Vedic, the different Vedas, which is Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam, the Supreme Lord Krishna is the source of everything. The Vedas deal with every department of knowledge within the material universe. All departments of knowledge. Medicine, music, you name it, the Vedas, the Vedas have it covered. So, but as Vaishnavas, we, we primarily are concerned with Vedanta Sutra, and of the Vedanta Sutra, we consider it very particularly concerned with the cream of the Veda, Vedanta Sutra, the, the essence which is presented in Srimad Bhagavatam. So our study, meant, our study for enlightenment and devotional service, which is the goal of the, the devotee, or the Vaishnav, is primarily that of, of Srimad Bhagavatam and those literatures which are, support that conclusion and bring us to a full understanding of that. How, if about, we, yes. how, how about finance? Does the Vedas actually get into finance? Oh, yes. As I said, Vedas deal with all departments of knowledge. Yes. Just a, a, an interesting aside, there's an interesting approach to mathematics that I, I came across uh, in, 
one devotee was studying that part of the Veda. And there's just such an interesting way that's uh, an approach to mathematics that huge calculations can be performed very easily. Working a little bit with numbers, I was just amazed at the ease with which you could do huge calculations with the, you know, with these simple rudiments of mathematical calculation, which is different than what we are, we know here in the Western world. If I ever come across the article, I'll give it to you. You'll be interested. Yeah, it's very interesting. Please. It's amazing. Text 23 of the Rudras, I am Lord Shiva. Rudras are the different uh, different names for Lord Shiva in his different capacities. Lord Shiva is one of the uh, demigod in charge of the mode of uh, ignorance. But more than that, he's, he's he has a very, very significant... He's in charge of three main demigods. Brahma is in charge of the mode of passion. Rudra is in charge of the mode of ignorance. And Vishnu himself, the Supreme Lord, is in charge of the mode of goodness. So these guna avatars are very, very powerful. You can imagine being in charge of the modes of material nature and their, the force of that energy uh, within the various uh, universes. So of the Rudras, I am Lord Shiva. Of the Yaksas and Rakshasas, I am the Lord of Wealth, Kuvera. And of the Vasus, I am Fire, Agni. And of the Mountains, I am Meru. Of Priest, O Arjuna, know me as the Chief, Brihaspati. Brihaspati is the priest to the demigods, so uh, he's in charge of keeping them spiritually spiritually grounded. So he has a, a pretty he's a pretty significant position being a priest to the demigods so that they don't go off track. Uh, uh, because if they go off track, then there's really going to be chaos within the material universe. So he's the chief, and therefore you should see him as a representation of Krishna. Krishna, all these, all these, as we, as we read through them, just think, this is the most significant vibhuti, opulence of the Supreme, and therefore we should see it that energy, that opulence, as simply a spark of Krishna's splendor. Vriyaspati, such an important position. The priest and the demigods, just a spark of Krishna's splendor. Of generals, I am Kartikeya, and of bodies of water, I am the ocean. Kartikeya is the son of uh, Lord Shiva and Parvati, and he's, uh, he's a chief and military commanders. Of the great sages, I am Brigu. Of vibrations, I am the transcendental Om. Of sacrifices, I am the chanting of the holy name, Japa. And of immovable things, I am the Himalayas. So it's interesting, of all the sacrifices, and throughout the Vedas, there's so many sacrifices that are given for attainment of the heavenly planets, for long life, for bringing a, for uh, taking care of uh, someone who's passed on. Uh, offering them uh, foodstuffs, sacrifices. Rajasuya sacrifice basically means that on you know on the earthly planet you perform this sacrifice and you can everyone will will be subordinate to your ruler to your rule of 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 the planet. So the Rajasuya sacrifice. So there's so many different sacrifices that give so many different opulences to a living entity. But of all the sacrifices, the topmost sacrifice Krishna mentions is Japa. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. 
Hari Rama, Hari Rama, Rama Rama, Hari Hari. Krishna considers this the topmost of all sacrifices. And therefore we should see it as Krishna. Well, we know from Lord Chaitanya it's non-different from Krishna. And again, Sikhsastika, Nadanam Najanam Nasundarim Kavitramva Jagadisha Kamaye. Oh my Lord, in your holy name you have invested all of your transcendental energies. We need to meditate on that when we're chanting from time to time. Oh my Lord, in your holy name you've invested all your transcendental energies. What does that mean? All of your transcendental energies. Not some, not one or two, not this one or that one. All of them. All of Krishna's mystic opulences. All of Krishna's four, all of the forms of the Supreme Lord. All of his powers. All of his loving relationships. All of those opulences. All those powers of Krishna are in the holy name. And therefore, if we can just chant sincerely and begin to relish the holy name and come to realize its significance and its true non-difference from Krishna himself, well, that's what this Krishna consciousness movement's all about. Coming to that level of realization where there's no, where we actually experience the Supreme in His holy name, fully. And that appreciation comes in different stages. There's a stage of understanding the energy of the Lord, just like He's explaining here, is the, the stage of understanding that the Lord is everywhere and you, you form. We actually experience His form through this chanting. In other words, you'll come to a level of meditation in your chanting in due course of time where you will perceive the Supreme Lord's transcendental form on the seat of your heart. And beyond that, the devotees advance to the stage of entering into his leela. So that's the significance. This is the topmost of sacrifices. Yes, sir. Would you kindly <coughs> remark on the differences between, or the difference between Indra and Brahma? Because it, they almost, Indra is almost seems like the same as Brahma. I get yeah. a little confused as to what, what is this okay. importance here? All right. Basically, the first, the first, they're, they're in, they're in a different, different categories altogether. Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu are in charge of the modes of material nature. Uh, they are, Extremely, they're, they're, they have spiritual bodies, as explained in Brihat Bhagavatamrita. So they're not, they're not at all under the influence of the modes of material nature, although Brahma and Shiva sometimes appear to be under that modes in different circumstances. Still, they're transcendentally situated, very, very high position. Okay, Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu. Of course, Vishnu is. Is, is the Supreme Lord himself. Indra is in charge of all the administrative demigods. They're in charge of the different utilities of the universe, so to speak. The air, the light, the water, whatever it may be, there's millions, 33 million of these administrative demigods. Indra's in charge of them. He's the king of heaven. Is equivalent to the life of a Manu, 
So that means that they have 71 cycles of the four yugas that they're, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're administrators. And then, uh, then, then they lose their post. Although there's not an election held, <laughs> they're pushed out of office and another administrator comes in to take that position. Term limits. Yes, okay. So for um, living entities, there's no, or the lower living entities, there's no, we don't notice when there's a change. It's not like there's a disruption. Well, no, these disrupt, yeah, there's a major disruption uh, at the end of, uh, at the end of all the cycles of the yugas. Well, I know, I know about the dissolution, but, yeah. but you're saying that these posts will change yes. before that. Yeah. Yeah, you won't notice. It's just like if you're, if you're simply a bum in the ghetto, whether it's a Obama or a Bush, it doesn't mean peace to you. <laughs> As long as you got your wine <laughs> and the missions down the street where you can grab a cot and something to eat, you're set. <laughs> the fact that Palin's going to be president isn't going to affect you much. Um, I didn't really say that. Excuse me. <laughs> I, I do have another question. In Kali Yuga, even the demigods, because they're you know they're still they're under the. In, the modes of mater- under the influence of the modes of material nature. Yes. So we, you know, we become degraded, and is there is there degradation on those higher levels in the age of Kali? As long as you're in the material universe and you're not a pure unalloyed devotee, there's always chance of degradation. So even our administrators that. They can fall to hell, yes. Just like Kuvera's. Hey, yes, go ahead. Tell her about Kuvera. Oh, yeah. Dala Kuvara and Mani Griva. They were cursed. They were in heaven. And they were hanging out with the heavenly girls and, uh, you know, having a good old time. They were all drunk. And what happened? They were liquored up and didn't uh, cover themselves when Narda Muni walked by and they became trees. Because they were degraded. You know, Indra, Indra is even cursed once he became a hog. Yeah, he, he somehow offended a sage, a sage, and he was cursed to become a hog. <laughs> they went, Indra, please, will you come back? I'm happy here. Why do I, why do I don't want to come back to hell? <laughs> he was so happy in, in his hog body and his, and his hog women. He was, he was, you know, a pig. What do you call it? What do you say? <laughs> he didn't want to give it up. Huh? <laughs> so yes, yeah. As long as we're in the material, it's not a. It's just not a place for a gentleman, even if you're a demigod. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are, the, are the curses uh, explained in the Bhagavatam? Because I mean, that's that's pretty amazing power. I curse you, bam! That's it. It's like Shazam, you know. Yeah. Well, that's what it means to have the power of a Brahmin. Therefore, we're very cautious when it comes to dealing with Brahmins. We offer them all respect. And you can see, too, the whole New Age movement about um, manifesting. You know, it's actually, it's, a, it's a, a skill that can be acquired. But you're not going to get it if you're not qualified. Because, you know, how many times... How many people would be dead on the way to other people, you know, on the way to your job? How many people do you curse 
on the way driving to work. You must know something about this. <laughs> I do. <laughs> so they talk of manifesting and you know, thinking of, of what you want and creating an affirmation to say it. But we have to make ourselves qualified. If we knew the mantras to accomplish these things, right. dangerous stuff. Right. These are very powerful, powerful things. Yes. Wow, it's remote control. No, that was a mantra. I just oh, chanted. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the mantra is hit it once. <laughs> yeah. All right. Brigu, all right, let's go on, 26. So wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Yes, so sir. So Brahma is, he's, he's Lord of Indra, though, right? I mean, yes, yes. All of the all of the administrative demigods are offspring of Indra, yes. Okay. Yes, so therefore he's definitely, he's superior. Offspring of Brahma. Brahma, I'm sorry, yes. Okay. Either directly or indirectly through the... Okay, thank you. Uh, of all trees, I'm the banyan tree, and of the sages among the demigods, I am Narada. Of the Gandharvas, I am Chitraratha. And among perfected beings, I am the sage Kapila. Of horses, know me to be Uchashrava, produced during the churning of the ocean of nectar. Of lordly elephants, I am Aravata, and among men, I am the monarch. Again, to understand what's going on, we have to become a little acquainted with Srimad Bhagavatam and all these various personalities. Uh, Uchashrava was uh, generated when there was a Con, when there was a churning of the ocean of, of uh, milk and uh, to get the nectar and what was the need for that? Immortality. Hmm? They wanted to get nectar of immortality hmm. and, they, uh, and uh, they got instruction that they need to, you know, to churn the, the, the ocean of milk. Right, and so the demigods and the, and the demons, they got together to accomplish they could one one team couldn't do it by themselves, so both opposing parties had to come together to churn the ocean, and uh, and these personalities, Aravata and uh, Uchashrava, both came out of that churning. Uh, that's an interesting pastime related in Bhagavatam. Of weapons, I am the thunderbolt. Of cows, I am the sarabi. Of causes for procreation, I have I am Kandarpa, the god of love, and of serpents, I am. Vasuki, uh, Kandarpa, just to mention uh, that lust that leads to procreation with a desire for offspring. Prabhupada points out in the purport is that lust, Kandarpa. Within marriage? Yes, yes. When the, there's the Grihasta farmer. Yes. Also, in the heavenly planets, there may or may not be marriage. But yet, when there's a desire for offspring. Mm -hmm. For Krishna conscious offspring? For male offspring is what it specifically says. Yeah. yeah. So, that's, it's not just lust to have sex life. It's that specific lust where there's a desire for offspring. Uh, the many hooded Nagas, I am Ananta. And among the aquatics, I am the Devagod Varuna. Of departed ancestors, I am Aryama. And among the dispensers of law, I am Yama, the Lord of Death. 
So like I said before we started the class this evening, wow, without some knowledge of, of what's in Srimad Bhagavatam and what's uh, there in the Vedas, these names are all, who, who's this, who is that? It's, very, it's confusing. Not to be confused though, let's remember the purpose of these various verses and Krishna's putting forth. To see the Supreme Lord as the Supreme, whatever we see, because every person within the world, we all have different natures, we all have different, different things that are of interest to us, that attract us. So, in this way, we can see, no matter what that attraction may be, the, that potency, that power, that shakti, the energy, that is simply a manifestation of the Supreme's opulences, of Krishna's opulence. Among the Daitya demons, I am Prahlad. Among the doers, I am Time. Among beasts, I am the lion. And among birds, I am Garuda. We'll save the last ten and Krishna's conclusion for next week. I'm going to uh, just read a little bit from Srimad Bhagavatam to put this in perspective because as I explained also at the beginning, these, this same question was asked of Krishna by Uddhava. And there is a section of the 11th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, just like we're studying Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita means uh, the song of God, and it's part of the Mahabharata. And specifically, it's that discourse on the battlefield of Kurukshetra between the Supreme Lord and Arjuna. So there was a similar discourse, and there's another Bhagavad Gita, but it's referred to as the Uddhava Gita, and that's uh, presented in the 11th canto. Uddhava was a very, just like Arjuna, is a very, very dear friend to uh, Krishna, and Arjuna is so dear to Krishna that Krishna agreed to become his charioteer. So similarly, when... Krishna resided in Dwarka when he left his childhood pastimes and uh, took up re residence in Mathura and then later in Dwarka. Uh, one of his most intimate associates was Uddhava. Uddhava was a contemporary by age with Krishna, same. And Uddhava was so close to Krishna, he practically looked like Krishna. They looked the same. So unless you knew Krishna's specific characteristics, uh, you could mistake Uddhava for Krishna. That's how close they were. Arjuna became bewildered on the battlefield of Kukshetra, and therefore Krishna had to dispel his illusion, his bewilderment, and set him, set his consciousness, pro, uh, you know, in the proper state spiritually. Similarly, Uddhava became Uddhava became bewildered when Krishna when he when he realized that Krishna was going to leave, Krishna was going to wind up his leela, his pastimes, he was going to depart for uh, his own abode. So Uddhava was so much in love with Krishna, and he was his dear most friend, and that love was very deep, and when he realized that Krishna was going to depart, he, he could see all the, all the omens uh, that were there, and then they all foretold of Krishna's departure. The Yadus were, were about to uh, 
engaged in a fratricidal war. And, uh, he, he was aware of all these things. So he, he fell on Krishna's feet and crying. And he said, please, if you're leaving, take me with you. And Krishna said, no. I have, there's, although I've been here and I've, I've, I've done so much, I've killed so many demons and I've, I've basically pacified all of my devotees in one way or another, even though I've done all this, there are some sages in the Himalayas which I did not have time for. And therefore, you being my dear most friend and topmost devotee, I need you to go and give them spiritual instruction because it's time for me to wind things up and move on. Uddhava's in his distress, uh, he wasn't, wasn't really willing to do that until... Krishna gave him spiritual instruction to, to make him fully content in the fact that he would be able to survive in Krishna's absence. Because he's, he was, his basic consciousness was, I can't live without Krishna. I can't live. If you leave, I won't be able to, to go on. So uh, Krishna gave, gave also his, his spiritual instruction to Uddhava and uh, that's, as I said, related in the 11th canto. First of all, I want to read a couple verses to put this in pers- that portion of, uh, of, of Srimad Bhagavatam in perspective, and specifically where Krishna talks about his deliverance of instruction to Arjuna. Uddhava has just inquired from Krishna, could you explain your vibhutis, your opulences to me? And Krishna responds... The Supreme Personality of God had said, O best of those who know how to inquire. On the battlefield of Kurukshetra, Arjuna, desiring to fight with his rivals, asked me the same question that you are now posing. On the battlefield of Kurukshetra, Arjuna thought that killing his relatives would be an abominable, irreligious activity, motivated by his desire to acquire a kingdom. He therefore desisted from the battle, thinking I would be the killer of my relatives. They would be destroyed. Thus Arjuna was afflicted with mundane consciousness. At that time I enlightened Arjuna, the tagger among men, with logical arguments. And thus, in the front of the battle, Arjuna addressed me with questions in the same way that you are now inquiring. And then Krishna proceeds to explain to Uddhava basically in this 16th chapter of the 11th canto the same opulences uh, that he explained to Arjuna. Not exactly the same, but we can understand the same context is there. Although they, some are the same and some are uh, you know, not exactly, specifically the same. My dear Uddhava, I am the super soul of all living entities, just like he started with, with Arjuna this evening, and therefore I am naturally their well-wisher and supreme controller. Being the creator, maintainer, and annihilator of all entities, I am not, not non-different from them. And what I wanted to bring to your attention was a very interesting uh, verse that... Uh, that Krishna speaks to Uddhava 
at the conclusion of explaining his opulences. Mm. Sankyanam paraman nu nam kalena kriyate maya natatha me vibhuti nam srijata tondati kodisaha. Even though over a period of time, this is Krishna speaking, even though over a period of time I might count all the atoms of the universe. Well, this is God. He can pull it off. I don't think any other living entity would be able to count every single atom in the universe. Even though over a period of time I might count all the atoms of the universe, I could not count all of my opulences, which I manifest within innumerable universes. Any questions? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So Krishna is so full of transcendental opulences and mystic perfections that he even says... I have a hard time keeping a track of them all. (laughs) Yes, ma'am? Does Krishna incarnate in other universes uh, besides when he incarnated on the Earth planet? Is he constantly incarnating himself in um, lots of universes? Yes, just like the waves of the ocean Mm -hmm. constantly worship, you know, worship on the shore. Krishna manifests various incarnations continually in all the universes. And are there Krishna devotees in other universes? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they're rare just like on Earth? Yes. Mm-hmm. And some universes... We're, we're, in, we're in a very little universe. <laughs> mm-hmm. As evidenced by Brahma, our Brahma only has four heads for the four directions. There are other Brahmas and other universes that you're, which have a lot more heads. Mm-hmm. Enough heads that it's hard to count them all. Because there's more directions? Yes. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> now, if that's beyond our intellect, we could just let it go with that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll stop there. Any questions, comments, corrections? The, the, the last thing you were saying, it's kind of reminding me one time that I uh, read this, I don't know, where he was either listening to something or reading something, a prop I was in front of some, I think he went to a college, and they were kind of shooting off questions to him, and one of them tried to hit him with a real famous uh, atheistic question, I guess you would say. He said, is there anything God can't lift? And he goes, what? yes. I'm sorry? Like, yes. What did you say? He was in front of yeah I heard that what was the question the question was is there anything that God can't lift oh and he said yes but then he can lift it is there anything he, do- he, he doesn't know yes but then he knows it and that was his answer and the guy was pretty defeated pretty quick I mean you know pretty quickly and I was like, oh okay you know so but you know it's, I just thought when you said that even Christian can't count his own opulences but you know but then I guess he does. So. But then that's another opulence he just added. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is the uh, distinct difference between the Uddhavad Gita and the Bhagavad Gita? I mean, where does the two actually separate? Uh, you'll find in the Uddhavad Gita, uh, 
A lot more detailed knowledge. Uh, there's instructions in the Uddhava Gita of how you can acquire all the mystic perfections by meditating on Krishna's different mystic opulences. Is that also translated by Prabhupada, or is that another Swami? Well, the, basically what you find is Prabhupada completed the Srimad Bhagavatam up through the 13th chapter of the of the 10th canto, mm -hmm. and then it was completed by his disciples. Mm -hmm. But the reference material that Prabhupada used for his commentaries and the reference material used by his disciples to complete the work mm -hmm. are the same commentaries of the other previous acharyas. What would be lacking is those specific uh, commentaries and realizations that Prabhupada personally added to his in, the, in what he translated of Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, those aren't there, of course, in, in the completion of the work, but we don't need to look at it as incomplete. If you read it, you'll see that the commentaries are, the commentaries are all credited there. Uh, one of the prominent uh, devotees that worked on that is uh, Hri Dayananda uh, Goswami. You've mm -hmm. seen him here speaking. Uh, and once in a while, he'll give his own commentary, and you can easily perceive it in the others. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's nothing lacking in, in, in the completion of the work. But understand, Srimad Bhagavatam and all the various commentaries that are available, uh, and Prabhupada has, as I mentioned in the past, he's given us a perfect synthesis of the various commentaries on Srimad Bhagavatam and also Bhagavad Gita, uh, he's given us a, a synthesis of all the great Vaishnavs' commentaries in the in the disciplic succession. We talked about the disciplic succession coming forward from Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and even before that, you know. So uh, those commentaries are there, and and Prabhupada's genius is that. He's able to present those commentaries in a way that even uh, uneducated Westerners with no background in, Vedic, in the Vedic thought process can perceive the most, most advanced spiritual concepts. That's his glory. Does that answer your question? Yes, yeah, pretty tall order right there. Uh, that's what Acharya means. <laughs> Especially someone of, of Prabhupada's caliber, yes. Yeah. Yes, sir. I just wanted to add to uh, to understand those occurrences uh, that a lot of depends on our perception where we are, where our consciousness is situated because like uh, the example which is given there, there by Krishna that from the bodies of water he's an ocean and when we come to the shore we can see this humongous you know, amount of water and we, we can appreciate you know, how powerful it is but for a sailor who, who just swims across the ocean, it has much more meaning than to us. Mm -hmm. Because his perception, his being, you know, associating or being exposed to it is much deeper and, 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 and stronger than in our case. So here his understanding of the power of the ocean is much deeper than ours. And, uh, and whereas right, whereas somebody else may have another opulence where that they're more familiar with in their life. That's right. Okay. And, and, but the, uh, my point is that uh, 
some other person can come to the seashore and say, well, this is just water, you know, it's just here is water mm-hmm. and it's land, you know. And for him, he doesn't recognize the, the, the Lord's presence or Lord's opulence in, the, in this manifestation on the, on the seashore. So the, uh, all those examples which, which Krishna gives, according to our perception, they will have more and less meaning to us uh, because of our, you know, where we are right now. And when we, when our consciousness will just, you know, raise all those, we will be able to perceive <coughs> the presence of the Lord everywhere, in all aspects of existence, and, and, and see His opulences everywhere, present everywhere. Mm. Right now we are trying to learn to do it, you know, we are looking at the moon and, you know, and we compose romantic songs, you know, but, but we don't see that that's actually, that's Krishna's opulence. We don't see immediately about the Supreme Personality of Godhead. We think about romantic, you know, some arrangement or something like that. Mm-hmm. Because this, this is where our consciousness is. But for the devotees, especially pure devotees, they see everything so connected with the Supreme Lord that for, that, for them this is like so much more deepness and, and so much revealing the, the nature of the Supreme Lord. Just like Christus, uh, or Judas said at the beginning. Please explain them. You could explain them forever. It's just like nectar for me to hear, yeah. because he's he's seeing everything. Yes, thank you. Yes, ma'am. I have a question on um, Mount Meru in the Himalayas. That you know the way this is phrased that of the mountains he's Mount Meru, and of the immovable things he's the Himalayas. So Mount Meru is that? Is there a particular mountain? I know it's referred to. You hear about Mount Meru and yoga I'm not familiar mm-hmm. yes is that uh, the same as uh, go ahead but the marrow mountain is uh, we cannot perceive it that's what I thought this is the, the, the how to say mountain which is in the middle of the universe and everything is just mm-hmm. moving around it more or less this is the from the bottom of the universe the universe goes to the top of the universe it's gold It is, but it's not perceivable with our senses. Oh, we are... Okay. It can go right here, and we cannot... But if it's going from the bottom all the way through the universe, then to go through... Then it's surrounding the Earth as it passes through the Earth, and obviously. It can't be moving like If you go to the fifth canto, you can pull out some pictures, and there'll be some, some perspectives given by different devotees uh, as to the way the universal construction is. Uh, then you can go to others. I mean, I have other books you can look, and there's videos. I mean... I saw the video. I mean, I saw... Yeah. Remember that? Right, in the yeah. middle. Right. So why, why, is Ma, why is Meru movable? The Himalayas are not. I mean, I don't understand that. I can't even... Neither do I. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe because the, the universe expands. Uh, well, uh, but it's well, moving. Uh, just speculation. Don't take it you know, as the absolute truth. It's just like I don't have answer, but that's what my just like you know, trying to put it logically into my head. Well, when, when we have many books you can read in this. There's uh, <laughs> Vedic cosmology. It's about this thick. It was written by is that Sanaputta? Yeah, he's passed on, but he was a scientist who who basically tried to explain all of the fifth canto 
in a, in a scientific way because that was his background. Right. And he tried to reconcile and harmonize modern science with, with Srimad Bhagavatam. Vedic cosmology is the name of it. Do you have it? Yeah, you said. No, I don't. It's a. I don't. Why would I even put it there? I'd never have cracked it. It's, yeah. You have other things to read, too. I, I, I have done by Donahue this one. Uh, some small. Yeah, I have those. Yeah. 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 So those also are above my head. <laughs> but I'm not a scientist. You can watch it like 30 minutes. Yeah, I saw something on that before. So immovable, when he says movable and immovable, movable and immovable to who? For who? Human beings, demigods? Well, the human being, yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> it's not. And another thing is doesn't, there's that uh, Himalayas are Buddha's the unmovable. It doesn't mean that Meru, mountain Meru is movable, but the other opulence of it is greater. Okay. And I like. That's a good have, point. Yeah. It can have several opulences, but this is the greatest opulence of mountain Meru. Yes, ma'am. There was one thing I thought of earlier because I was thinking, you know, well, how is Krishna these things? Like he says he is the this or the that. So how exactly is he that? So then I was thinking, all of those things are like the top of the yeah. food chain, right? In their, in their, in their, in their social circle. In their social circle, those things are the top of the food chain, like because it made me think of a shark. Right. And the shark is the top of the food chain in the ocean of, of all the fishes. He's the top of the food chain. And the lion. So and the lion. So Krishna is is the top of all the food chains. That's a good point. Actually, I in, in reading the other commentaries for tonight's class, yes, that's exactly what they say. The, the greatest at every one of these individual areas. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.